0: Good Risings, I'm Jackie,
1: and I'm Brian,
0: and this is Grateful Grains. Welcome back. As you may recall, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. We're getting our month on mental well being started by re exploring the five most common types of anxiety. We got it started Monday with social anxiety. Tuesday, we talked relational. Wednesday, it was panic. Yesterday, it was intrusive thoughts and OCD. And today, we're talking post traumatic stress.
1: The conversation about PTSD has evolved over the last 30 years. Our societal understanding of post-traumatic stress used to be that it mostly belonged to soldiers who'd experienced the horrors of war. Today, we understand more clearly how all different kinds of trauma impact the way all different kinds of people experience the world. Some prime examples of common traumatic experiences are discrimination, hate crimes, and physical and emotional abuse.
0: Psychologically, we're less tied to the event itself and more closely tied to how these events made us feel, the threat to our safety, our survival-based fear. For this reason, we don't have to be in the exact same situation again for our body's survival instincts to trigger. We need only feel or even sense that we should feel that we're in the same type of danger. That's why someone who's been bullied throughout school may find they have anxiety in social situations as an adult, or why someone may be controlling in a relationship because they have a fear of abandonment after their father left when they were young.
1: Our subconscious minds and bodies remain in a state of active protection. When our subconscious is perpetually on the lookout for threats, we're separated from the present moment. When we've lived a lifetime with trauma, our subconscious mechanisms often feel like personality traits. Being shy, being reclusive, being aggressive or overly outspoken or demanding or controlling, we can become all kinds of things as a result of our trauma. As we begin to do the work of exploring certain behaviors in ourselves that we'd like to change, we might begin to notice the feelings unfolding which elicit these responses. It's the stuff that's bubbling up under the surface that no one sees, but it's the impetus for the way we behave. As we begin to do the work of understanding what we're feeling, we can begin to understand why we feel that way. For example, a man might be particularly aggressive in situations where he's meeting other men for the first time. Maybe he calls himself an alpha. He believes it's just part of who he is. But as we begin to understand how he feels in those situations, we can begin to better understand his behavior.
0: Exactly. Instead of simply acting the way he's always acted, he might consider that he actually feels very nervous in these specific situations. Maybe he's afraid he won't be liked or accepted. Maybe he's used to other men being very aggressive in response to him. And so he's perpetuating a cycle of aggression by leading the same way. Whatever the cause, the first reconciliation comes in examining the feelings beneath the behavior.
1: From there, maybe he's able to draw ties between these current feelings, his present emotional state, and specific events from his childhood and early teens that informed on how he's subconsciously perceiving these situations. Maybe he learned that men aren't supposed to be nervous. Maybe he's able to see the chain reaction over the course of his lifetime. Maybe he can even begin to see why his subconscious mind has been altering his perception of events by way of confirmation bias. Either way, it's in discovering where these feelings are rooted that we might also find the ways to heal. And in this situation, it might be in building a stronger community of male friends who are more open to talking about the way they feel. And we're using this example, by the way, because it's obviously very common. It also doesn't always lead to aggression. It can manifest as everything from substance abuse to avoidance altogether.
0: It all begins with developing a relationship with presence and the present moment. We have to be able to ground ourselves in our experience in order to really consider what we're feeling at any given time, rather than being a victim of our subconscious reactions.
1: Some other fantastic practices include meditation, grounding, acupuncture, exercise, supplementation, and a diet low in sugar, alcohol, and caffeine. All those things in combination are even better. But like we've been saying all week, cognitive behavioral therapy with a licensed practitioner is often necessary and sometimes prescribed medication is too. Remember, we're spending all week next week re-exploring some of the primary methods to healing. And the last two weeks of the month, we'll be covering powerful daily habits and tools to help move us toward a more peaceful state of mind. If you're in immediate need, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. We also know that treatment can often feel expensive or out of reach, but publicly funded programs are available in most places. If you're in the U.S. and struggling financially, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration will help you find low-cost or no-cost treatment. You can call them at one 800 622 Help. That's 1 800 622 Thanks so much for joining us on Grateful Grains. You can find us on Instagram at Good Risings, or you can find me at B McMuffin.
0: And you can find me at JacquelineM Wood underscore one. See you Monday. Until then, remember, a better tomorrow starts with today.
1: Good Risings is presented by Cavalry Audio.